Hey guys, welcome to Access. John here. Today we're going to continue our study on the book of John, and I think it might be a blessing to those of us who have had to helplessly watch the people we love did things that were foolish. It's hard watching people we love suffer, especially when we start to realize that if we're watching others, people are likely watching us. So turn your Bible to John chapter 6, verses 41 through 71, because this message is entitled, Come to Your Senses. Have you ever sat and had to watch somebody else do something foolish? And you think to yourself, man, what's the matter with you? Why don't you wake up and come to your senses and see what you're doing is so foolish? Now, sometimes this can be pretty entertaining. Like, for example, um, I don't know, maybe we go to the movie theater and we are watching a thriller uh, horror movie, whatever it might be, and there's a there's a person in the in the screen that we keep yelling at. Hey, man, don't go in there. The killer's in there. What's the matter with you? Don't go in there. And if at least it's not entertaining to us, it's probably entertaining to everyone else around us, wondering how we could be so foolish in talking to somebody that can't even hear us. Now, I I think um, sometimes it can be entertaining, but most of the time when we're watching somebody else do something foolish, it's not entertaining at all. And I think this is especially true when we see people who we love go through these, these seasons of foolishness and we think to ourselves, like, come on, what is the matter with you? Maybe we're so bothered by it that we go and we actually talk to them. But for some reason or another, they just have to learn the hard way and they won't listen to our advice. We're telling them, like, just don't go that way. Maybe it's from personal experience. We say, don't do that. Don't you understand what's going to happen? Can't you see? Can't you hear? Can't you smell? Can't you feel? Uh, taste, touch. Can't you taste? I mean, like, it, it, it's, it's, it's everything. I had to go through the five senses there. Taste, touch, hear, smell, and and see, I don't know if I did them all, but anyway, the five senses, we use them. We use them, and it's easy to look at somebody else's life and say, what is the matter with you? How can you be so foolish? Another way that we tend to do this is when we read Scripture. Now, when we we study the Bible, um, when I study the Bible, I have been known from occasion on occasion to just yell at that people in the script in, in scripture like like what is the matter with you can't you see what's gonna happen and and don't you understand who you're talking to and don't you see what god wants to do why don't you just trust god where's your faith and i think this is because we have that blessing of the bird's eye view or, or hindsight or however you want to look at it basically we get to look in their lives from a start to finish scenario and we're reading about their lives and we think like what is the matter with you However, we also ought to keep in mind that in our times of, 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 of being tested and tried by the Lord, which is what's going on in these passages, that most of the time we don't have the bird's eye advantage. That most of the time whenever God's testing us, we're in the thick of it and we can't see over these giant walls, these barriers. We can't see to the other side. And so we don't know which way to go. Unless, unless we pick the right focus point. And so, so it kind of makes us think, and, and this is kind of where I'm headed for this message, is that it makes us one, it should make us wonder that, that there are people all around us who frequently, frequently do things foolish, and we think to ourselves, what is the matter with you? And maybe, maybe even we look at scripture and we see that same dynamic happening, like, what is the matter with you? But it should also cause us to ask the question, how often... Is this happening to us? I mean, how often are other people, because we watch people, people are surely watching us, how often do other people look at our lives and say, what is the matter with you? 
What are, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Can't you see? And, you know, I, I think that's important to keep in mind as we study Scripture today. And I, I just want to, as, we, as we're about to go into this passage, I just want us to, to, to keep in mind that there might be a very important lesson that God is trying to show us. And a lot of times when we pick up Scripture, we already look at Scripture with a lens, through a lens, and it's our own worldview. And sometimes what God wants to show us is that our worldview is wrong. Now, we're going to read a passage of Scripture. We're going to study. We're going to continue our study in the book of John. And it's been a while since we've studied John, so let me just kind of just very quickly catch us up on what's happening in this particular passage. Um, we uh, studied about how Jesus fed the 5,000 uh, men, not including women and children, with uh, two fish and five loaves of bread, and he had 12 baskets full left over. And so he sends his disciples out in the middle of the night, and he says, go get in the boat, and, and I'll, meet, I'll meet up with you. And so he goes into a solitary place to pray, and then he leaves the people who were fed uh, because they had their fill, and they didn't start looking to him for him until the next morning. Well, Jesus walked out on water in the middle of the night, and and you know witnessed to his disciples that you know he's like I'm the Son of God, and I can calm the storm, and and you know and so anyway they let him in the boat, and he goes on to the other side to Capernaum, and so uh, the people come and find him, and as they come and find him, they want to know, hey, where'd you go? And he said, you guys didn't even start looking for me until you got hungry. Basically, is what he tells them. And so he tells them, you know, they're saying, they're saying, well, you know, if you want us to believe in you, you're going to have to do better things than that. I mean, Moses gave bread from heaven. And he tells him it wasn't Moses, but God. And so he says, I am the bread of life. I am the source of life. And he says, I came from heaven to you to reveal that to you, to show you that I am the bread of life. This is what he tells them. So um, we're going to read John chapter 6, verses 41 through 71. I understand that that is a lot of passage, a lot of ground to cover, and so I'm going to try to read it quickly, but I want to go through it after we're done reading and try to help us to see that there might be a lesson for us as we're yelling at the people in this, in this passage. So this is what it says. John chapter 6, verse 41 through 71. And he says, At this... The Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling against yourself, among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. And I tell you the truth, that he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. I'm going to continue reading here. I know this is a separate passage, but continue reading. Verse 60, he says, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning, from the beginning, which of them did not believe and would not betray, and who would betray him. Excuse me. He went on to say, "This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him." From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is is of the devil, is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, uh, who was thought one of the twelve was later to betray him. Okay, so let's let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to go through this. Father God, I, I just pray that you would just give us spiritual sight. And Father, that you teach us an important lesson about yourself, because I believe that's what Jesus is trying to communicate, that you are communicating through your Son. I, I pray, God, that we would just we would receive that message loud and clear. And although it might not be a message that we want to hear about you and who you are and what you do, I pray, God, that you would just give us the spiritual wisdom to see that there's nowhere else we can go. So, Father, I just ask that you would just enable us to understand and that, Father, that you give us peace about this passage. We love you and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, in this passage of Scripture, what I want to show us, uh, uh, show you is, is that um, our minds can only take us so far before we run into a wall or a barrier of some sort. And that barrier is our own understanding. You know, um, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is talking about how he came down from heaven, and they were trying to understand. Like, how is it that he can say he came down from heaven? Like, I, I don't understand. Don't we know his parents? You know, aren't they here with us? Don't 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 we know who they are? How how are you going to say, Jesus, excuse me, excuse me, how are you going to say that you came down from heaven whenever I was at your first birthday party? Or, you know, I, I, knew, I knew you from age four. I, we grew up together, Jesus. How are you going to say that you came from heaven? And Jesus is trying to explain to them something that is very hard to comprehend. In fact, it's impossible for them to comprehend. And Jesus even spends some time in this passage of Scripture explaining why that is. You see, these, these, um, these people who are hearing this, these Jews who are hearing this, were trying to use their five senses to understand. And the thing that Jesus tells them essentially is that there is a sixth sense. He tells his disciples this later on when he says the flesh counts for nothing. So your five senses, they don't mean anything. You're not going to be able to understand the things that Jesus is teaching from his from your five senses. He's saying that there is a sixth sense, in fact, a sense that is greater than all the others, that helps the others to work in conjunction, 
and that is the sense of the Spirit. Now, it's interesting to note that we have been separated from the Spirit from the garden. Because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden, we have been separated from God, that we cannot understand the things of the Spirit unless God is the one who enables us. And that's what Jesus is going to go on to talk about, so that we have to draw our understanding from God. So we're going to run into barriers, when we, and there's going to be things that we don't understand about life and about Scripture and about God himself. We don't understand what it is that you're saying. And so here's an example where Jesus says, hey, I came from heaven. And he said, well, we don't understand that. And he continues on, and this is a passage where we're able to look at this passage and go, guys, how can you be so foolish? Like, he's right. He's, the answer is right there, right in front of you. What is the matter with you? Can't you see where is your faith? He's not talking about his body and his physical blood. Jesus has a greater lesson. It's one of those things we can do. That he tells them, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you cannot, you cannot be saved. You cannot enter into eternal life. So what he's telling them is something that they're trying to comprehend. Now, as he talks about this in verse 49, he says, Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. I am the bread. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, we can look at that verse and say, he was talking about the cross, guys. What's the matter with you? But in verse 52, they're trying to hold on to what they're trying to understand. And it says, the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, it's interesting because they are the ones that jump to this conclusion that Jesus literally meant that you must you must uh, eat from my body. I'm going to cut my finger off in just a minute. You guys are going to chew on that for a while, okay? If you want to have life, that's, that's what... No, Jesus doesn't jump to that conclusion. They do. Yet Jesus makes no effort to explain it to them. He's not trying to to rationalize with their senses. He's not trying to explain it so that their minds can comprehend. He is completely bypassing our five senses, and he's going right to that sixth sense, the sense of the Spirit, and he's explaining to them, okay, guys, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to eat my flesh, and yeah, you're going to have to drink my blood. He doesn't go deeper than that because they do not understand. Now, if we read this passage of Scripture, it's easy for us to understand because, again, we have the bird's eye view. We have faith. We know about the things about the Lord's Supper because we have that hindsight view. And Jesus, what he was doing here, actually what he was doing here, is he was making an object lesson. Now, what's interesting in, in verse 59, it says he, he, he's teaching this in the synagogue in Capernaum. And what we have to understand about Scripture is that when John wrote this gospel, he was very careful about what he wrote and what he included. This is important. It was bothering me. Why is that so important that he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum? Well, I went and did some digging, and one of the things that I found was is that in the ruins of Capernaum, um, there are inscriptions on the wall and even carvings in the wall of the uh, the pot, a sculptured pot of manna. Like this was kind of like a... Uh, it was a synagogue, first of all, that was donated by a, a Gentile 
somebody uh, who would would likely have been pagan, but he just he was well respected in the community. He might have been a good man, but he wasn't a godly man. And so he gave this uh, uh, gave this this money for this temple to be built, uh, the synagogue in Capernaum. Uh, he might have been a godly man. You know, I'm jumping to conclusions here. I don't really know that. Uh, he might have come to faith in God, and he gave the money for this synagogue. And so they they erected it, and they they put all these these carvings of sculptured uh, pots of manna. And um, you know, as we as we read this passage of scripture, very likely Jesus was standing in this place because it was like the the headquarters of the reminder of manna. You know, like he's saying, "Hey guys, you remember manna? See, you got it over here on the walls. You remember manna?" You know, whenever you had the Passover and 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 you went out into the wilderness and you you were you were you were about about to die, the Jew, your forefathers were about to die, and God sent bread from heaven. He says, "I am that bread from heaven." That God did that. God could have fed you any way He wanted. You know, He could have made it scream, spring up through corn in the ground or or giving you like baked cake. But no, God let bread fall from heaven, and He says, "I am that bread from heaven." And 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 here you have. This, this great object lesson where Jesus is teaching them these things, and yet they still don't understand. And I say that he didn't try to clarify. In truth, when you read, he says, who, in verse 54, he says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He's not saying, he's, he's saying, listen, guys, you have real food. You have this manna. You, you have this Passover food that you do, and a real drink, he's, he, he's actually explaining it a little bit. Yet, when somebody is trying to grasp and understand with their own mind, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so what we have to understand is that our minds are only going to take us so far, so far before we hit a barrier of our own understanding. And at that point, we're at a crossroads. We have a choice. We have a decision to make. I, I say we have a choice. Really, what happens is, is that God enables us to understand. But we have to let go and surrender over our understanding. So that's my next point. Is that sometimes we have to surrender and trust even when we don't understand. Um, when we do this, um, it's not easy. I mean, this is impossible uh, for us to do. It's like, I, I want to believe. I just don't understand. I want to understand first. Um, and, you know, there's scenarios and things that happen in our lives, I think, that, that we just want understanding. Like, why would God why would God let a orphanage full of babies burn down to the ground? Like, did he not care that there were babies in there? And, and wouldn't that destroy my faith? And, and, you know, it doesn't destroy our faith. And the reason why is because we it, it will if we try to understand it and say, well, I'm going to explain it. But if we don't understand and we turn it back over to God and say, you know, God, I don't understand this, but I believe you're God. And that, it, that it's kind of like we run up to this wall and there's a pool of water in the bottom. And, and like we, we want to get to the other side of the wall, but we have to understand that, that we, we have to get wet. We have to go under our understanding, beneath our understanding, and, and God will take us through that. And when that happens, it's very difficult, yes. But when it happens, Jesus will take us to greater understanding. Now you see this dynamic happen in, in this passage. Jesus tells his disciples, you must eat my blood, or eat my, eat my body and drink my blood to have life. 
And, and he taught this, and he says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate the manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Verse 60, it says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept this? And, and what's interesting there is that that was that crossroads that I was talking about. They're trying to understand Jesus. I want to follow you, but I just don't understand. Jesus is drawing a line between our senses and our understanding and the things of the Spirit. And he says, aware, he says, um, aware that, that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? And it's interesting in, in the NIV version, it doesn't have a question mark on the end of that before. It has an exclamation point. So basically saying, I think what it's saying is, is that um, you know, he's gonna. You draw even greater offense if you saw me ascending. The Spirit gives life, and you think about that for just a second. Um, that's exactly what happened. Disciples had to watch Jesus ascend into heaven, and and it's like, where are you going? That would be a great offense. Like I'm supposed to be following you, and I can't go there. What am I gonna do? He says, would it, would it, does this offend you, this teaching offend you? He's like, well, there's going to be greater offenses coming. I think that's what Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture. He says, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit. They are the beginning of, uh, sorry, they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning, which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And so in this passage, um, I'm not going to pull any punches here. This is what I believe Scripture is teaching. I believe Scripture in this passage particularly is tr- teaching the truth about predestination, uh, that, that no one can come to the Father, as Jesus says, unless the Father has enabled him, that we are not responsible for our own salvation. We can't just wake up. We're not waiting, waiting around patiently until the day where we can give our lives to God. In fact, we run the opposite direction. And, and, and letting go of our own understanding is one of those things. It is a, an enabling of the Holy Spirit. It's a blessing of the Holy Spirit that we can get to the point where I don't have to understand and I don't have to agree, but I will still surrender. I will obey you, God, even if I don't like what you're doing. And a lot of times we just don't do that. We say, God, as long as everything goes the way that I want it to, well then, you know, I'll be here. I'll be here forever. I'm just kind of reminded of Jacob as he says, you know, God, if you will bless me and if you will get me this and you will get me that and you will do this and you will do that, um, then, I, you know, I, I will surrender to you as my God. But you have to do all that first. And it's people who are spiritually mature don't make demands on God. God makes demands on them and they submit. And so in this passage, what we see here is, is limited understanding. These people turn away. They're not willing to let go of their own understanding. And, and you know what? Even if Jesus meant that we have to be cannibals, if that was the price for living forever, would you do it? You know, I've heard stories about guys that were lost at sea for days, and you wouldn't believe what they did, what they had to do to live if it really comes down to living and that's what he meant you do it which is why his disciples stand around and they say you know god god we don't we don't understand he says he says to him in verse um verse 67 he says you don't want to leave too do you jesus asked the 12 and simon peter answered the lord to whom shall we go 
to where are we going to go, God? It's like we're surrounded, completely surrounded by lava. We're on one rock. We don't have anywhere else to go, God. You've led us here. We have nowhere else to move. And so we can't go anywhere because you have the words of life. He says, we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. God enabled them to understand that, that they couldn't understand everything. And I, I think that's difficult because we want to understand. When things happen to us, God, I want to know why. And sometimes God's not going to explain it to us. And we have to decide, well, well um, are we going to trust you or not? Uh, in my personal walk with God, um, uh, as a matter of fact, I think my first week is truly being committed to him. I lost my friend Becky in a, in a terrible car accident. And I told God, you know what, I'm going to follow you wherever you send me, and I'm going to go there. And I remember um, on my way to the, the hospital with her kids in my car, and I just was praying over and over and over and over again, God, please let her be okay, let her be okay, let her be, let her be okay, please let her be okay. And I felt like God told me, through the way of the Holy Spirit, that it's too late. She's gone. I knew before I got to the hospital, it's so strange. I guess I was just waiting for it to be confirmed. And as I, as I walk up and they tell me, I just I just break down and I lose it. And after I'm there for a while, I just have this moment with God. And I, you know, I, I had this crossroads where I'm like, I'm trying to understand why he's done this. And to be honest, I have my theories now, but I still don't understand why. Why did God do that? I don't know. I had my theories, but when that happened, I remember saying to myself, you know, I said I was going to follow him. And I guess this is where my faith is going to have to meet the pavement. And um, I turned it over to him. I said, God, I don't understand why. I don't understand. But I don't have anywhere else I can go. You know, I don't I don't have anywhere else I can go. I don't have anything else in my life that gives me eternal life. In fact, I you're the only part of my life that I'm happy with. God's given me greater blessings since then, and so there are other things that, that I I draw a source of joy in, but you know, at that point, I just turned my life over to God. I just surrendered drugs over to him and and started following him. And, and I think, you know, just from this passage, we're learning something difficult about God. And that is, is that God caused that wreck to happen. We don't like that. We like to say, well, the, the God allowed it. But God, God's plan is going to come about, and that's a part of his plan. That is a part of his plan. I don't understand why. And I don't like it. Why? But I don't have anywhere else to go either. So much like the disciples, we have to ask ourselves the question, where can we go? If this is truly said about God, and you know what? We might continue to fight that. We might we might walk away. And on that occasion, there are going to be people in the world that are going to say to us, why are you being so foolish? Why don't you just believe God? Why, why, where is your faith? And there's certainly situations where people are watching us, but what I, what I want to conclude on today is the importance of, of not people watching us, but all of heaven watching us. In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, this is what the, uh, the writer of Hebrews almost said Paul. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. 
this is what the, the writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews 12, uh, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And he tells us how to do that. Verse 2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus knew his destination. That's how he was able to run the race that was marked out for him. He knew where he was going. He was going to the right hand of the Father. And it's what's important here is two things is that number one, we have to know our destination. And, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Don't let me forget that. The other part of that is, is that we have a cloud of witnesses. And, and when we think about that cloud of witnesses, we think people are standing around saying, you know, why can't you do better? Why can't you be smarter? And why, why can't you just have more faith and, and all those things? And probably maybe there are people in our lives in the world who are saying that, but that's not what the heavenly host is doing. And I know I've talked about this before, but I just think about, you know, all those times I went to the Special Olympics with my little brother Zoe. Uh, Zoe, we adopted him from Romania. He's mentally retarded, so we went to... Um, Special Olympics all the time, and, and so when you go to those things, they had these events. They, they just basically did whatever the kids could do. I mean, some of them were just in wheelchairs, and they couldn't even move, and all they could do was move their thumb forward, and it would push their little carts forward. And some of them could run, and some of them could throw things, and some of them could do hurdles. And, 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 and it was just that thing like, you know, they weren't all there. They were broken. Their bodies are broken. Their minds are broken in some way. And, and what's interesting about that is that the people that are there aren't yelling at them, why can't you come to your senses? Why can't you, you, why can't your body work right? Get it together. Come on, run faster than that. They don't do that. Why? Because we all know that their bodies are broken and they don't work right. So we just encourage them and you'd run alongside them and you'd cheer them on. You're like, come on, you can do it. You can do it. If I have to carry you, I'll carry you. But you're going to do it. You're going to do it. I'm over here, and we, we believe you can do it. And come on, come on, come on, come on. And the joy that is on their face when they cross that finish line, I mean, it's just it's something that just warms my heart every time I think about it. That's how heaven looks at us. That God knows that our bodies are broken God knows that we don't like ourselves. We don't like the way that we work. We want to do things differently. We, we're, we do things that are just foolish. We're messed up. But he's not sitting there condemning us and saying, what's the matter with you? Why can't you do better? God is saying to us, you can do this. I believe you can do this. I know you're going to do this because I'm God. And you're going to do it. And so all of God's angels are cheering us on and, and carrying us and moving us towards the goal. That's why the Apostle Paul says in this passage, throw off every weight, everything that hinders us, and run that race to the best of our ability. And so my first question for you today is, what is keeping you from running that race to the best of your ability? Is there something in your life you need to turn over to God? Maybe it's something you don't like that God's telling you you need to turn over and you're like, I don't understand why, God. And God's saying, you know what? You don't have to. I'm still God. 
Where else are you going to go, right? Where else are you going to go? But maybe, maybe you're just frustrated and you're like, I'm trying to live the Christian life. I'm trying. And I just don't seem to feel like I'm getting there. I'm not getting through it. And I don't know what to do. Well, the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was. I like to think it was Paul. People might condemn me for that. But the writer of Hebrews says, Fix your eyes on Christ. Jesus looked at the throne. And because of that, the right hand of God, he knew exactly what he was going to have to go through or exactly where he was getting. And so all the other things he had to go through to get there didn't matter. And so fix your eyes on Christ. He is our destination. That is to whom we are trying to uh, get to. For God predestined those I'm trying to remember the verse. For all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. I think that's right. He he conformed to, he, he's predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He knows that is where we're headed. And so I just want to offer up some encouragement. What is it that's keeping you entangled, right? What is it that's that's keeping you from running to Jesus with all of your strength? And and second, what is it that you believe that's foolish? What is it that you believe that is con- contrasting and conflicting with what scripture actually says? There are going to be things that God shows us that we don't like. But where else are we going to go? We don't have anywhere else to go. This is where our faith meets the pavement. I do want to offer some encouragement to you, just so that you know, heaven is watching you. And they're not condemning you. They're cheering you on. So, for the joy that's set before us, the joy of being like Christ, let's fix our eyes on Him and run to Him with all our might. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.